Welcome to Butterflies and Incantations, a podcast about all things weird and magical. I'm your host, Vanessa. Today we have Alex. He is a returning guest, and this time he's on to talk about his brand new book, The Theraveda Machine and Other Stories, which is absolutely amazing and very emotional, and I absolutely loved it. Welcome, Alex. Oh, thank you very much. That is a kind thing to say. Yeah, um, as you know, I read the whole thing and pretty much one sitting as soon as I got it. And uh, my goodness, if that's not an emotional roller coaster, I really oh, enjoyed yeah. this book. Oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad you did. I'm glad to, uh, you know, distance toy with your emotions. <laughs> so uh, why don't you uh, give the audience a little rundown of what the book is about? Um, obviously it's a short story collection, so maybe, uh, like a little... Well, uh, basically, uh, yeah, it's five short stories. Um, one's kind of novella length, I guess, you know, somewhat longer. Uh, kind of circling around the idea of kind of... It's a bit hard to kind of put into direct words, but, you know, kind of birth of then death, you know, kind of uh, ruminating on the kind of, you know, the big two things, you know. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And it's done in kind of my style, which if people haven't read before is a bit of kind of like magical realism sort of thing of a, you know, augmented kind of altered reality. So it's, you know, somewhat the world we live in, somewhat not, you know, a bit of a esoteric overlay on it. Yeah, it reminds me of Philip K. Dick's writing to some degree in that respect. How he blends weird esoteric nonsense breaking into reality and you're never quite sure what's actually happening and what's in the head of the character and what's just, you know, you know what's real and what's not kind of thing. Which I absolutely love stories like that. They always... I like not knowing what's really like I, I like being forced to question reality because it's fun <laughs> yeah I mean that's that's the idea I, I, I find uh, I don't want to spoon feed the audience so if if I write something and it's just it is what it is you know there's a there's a plot that goes from A to B there's characters that you know are totally understandable and you know it's just that seems boring that's that's uh i don't know that seems easy so i like i, I like leaving a little bit in the in the reader's hand to kind of know where they want to sit and what they take from something instead of you know like a stephen king book or something which nothing directly against him but you know they're pretty plot oriented you know it's i don't want to write an episode of supernatural is what i'm saying yeah i'm not a fan of that show so <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's fine, but it's, you know, it is what it is. You know, guys do a thing, they have to solve the thing, the thing gets solved, the end. And that's, Monster uh, the there's week. nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, that's that's not what I'm here for. So I, I like leaving it kind of, you know, not vague. I mean, it's specific and there's definitely stuff to take away from each story. But I think your level of commitment to the story, you know, changes how much you can take away from it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think my favorite story of the book is actually the uh, titular Thera... I'm probably mispronouncing it. Theraveda Machine? 
and no one knows how to say it. It's it, it literally <laughs> no. It's 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 so. It's Sanskrit, in, isn't it? Uh. No, it's oh, you know, it might be for it's it's from Sri Lanka originally. I think it's Pali, um, or Pali, or P A L I. Uh, the, the I think the the kind of consensus of the area it's in is something closer to Tatawada, but um, that's not where the religion's the most popular. So where the religion's the most popular, it's a little closer to Theravada. And then in America, it's Theravada or Theravada. So it's one of those, um, you're, if whatever way you pronounce it, someone's going to tell you you're saying it wrong. So whichever way you're saying it, exactly right and also exactly wrong. <laughs> Fair enough. It's one of those amorphous things just like like reality itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. People uh, resonated with that story uh, quite a bit and... It was interesting because that is one. So that was one of the ones that came out as a short story as a Kindle single uh, a couple of years back. And that's the one that kind of didn't do very well by itself. But like in the context of a collection, for some reason, people really focused in on that one and ended up liking it. It is a very pleasant surprise on my end because I think that's a, a better story than people uh, kind of read it in the first place. But now reading it kind of in situ yeah it's really resonating with people which is great because i like that one yeah i think i think the reason is on its own you don't get the contrast you don't get the the fact that it was deliberately written that way rather than just being i'm trying to find the right words like it's not that it was you know written by someone who didn't know who how, how to write characters but rather it was written that way on purpose for the sake of the story and on its own you don't really get that contrast i think yeah i is think the that, biggest thing yeah I, th- I mean i think you're right about that it's just it's one of those deals where it's like well that's the story i want to tell is that these are i mean the point of it is to have this kind of awkward kind of cut out characters like the you know that you can drop yourself into if you want or put anybody else there it's not the point like the point is this uncomfortable strange reality and and you know having these weird people that just keep talking about the fucking filter of their water um i really liked it but it's one of those things where oh yeah i probably shouldn't have done that just as a single because yeah it's not like anybody knows so it could be just oh that's the way he thinks people are it's like no it's (laughs) Yeah, but I guess surrounded by kind of nuanced emotional things and stories to make you cry, it kind of, you know, reads a little bit easier. Yeah, um, I really liked the ending. I'm not going to say for spoiler reasons, because I want people to read the book, but uh, that ending just... I'm still sitting on it because I'm I'm trying to, like, decide what I think it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, not going to tell you. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, I, I think I know what it is, but <laughs> I said this with, um, when Periphery, my novel came out is people came to me with their theories on the book. And I think some of those theories are better than what I was writing. Like that. I mean, I left it purposefully that way so that people can like kind of, you know, bring their own opinion to it. But some people came up with like interpretations of that book that I'm like, fuck, that's really good. But you know, that's not necessarily what I was directly writing. And it's one of those things of like, well, you know, I learned my lesson really quick of I'm never going to tell anybody exactly what was in my head when I was doing it because I don't want to – I'm not the arbiter of the book anymore. You know, the second the second that thing gets into the public, it doesn't belong to me anymore. Like now it's 
the world is being created when someone reads it. My creation process is done. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm the, you know, in a clockwork universe, I'm, I just set the dial of the universe and now it's going and I have no more, you know, I'm not an interventionist God writer. I love that. Like it, it definitely bothers me when, when writers are always like, no, this is what it means. And you can't, if if you take anything else out of it, it's wrong. Like I love when creators are willing to say, you know, it is its own thing. I just birthed it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't belong to you. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's one of those things that, I mean, she's she's gotten worse and worse over the years. But uh, before she kind of became officially a monster, it's the first thing I started to, like, question about J.K. Rowling, where she just kept going back and changing the books and changing, like, rewriting stuff to kind of, like, tweak it. And it's The George and Lucas it's like, effect. <laughs> yeah. And it and just... And it's awkward and not fun, and it like really strangles it. And it's like these aren't fun anymore. And then she just turned into like a weird doddering old lady that like said some weird, well, agreed with some weird hateful stuff. So you know she's she's on my shit list. But yeah, you know that George Lucasing thing. And I don't ever want to do that. Like I, I, you know, I like to put it out there. You know, the only thing I'd ever go back to clarify is if you know if a, you know a, a grammatical mistake or something. You know, like I'm fine with that. But yeah, yeah fixing- no fixing problems with the grammar and spelling and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, I have a homophone in, in periphery that bothers the shit out of me, but I, <laughs> I'm not going to put an addition out for it. It's one word, but oh, it still fucking eats me alive that I left that in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, no book is perfect. I've, I mean, I've uh, got university textbooks that have, have uh, oh, yeah. typos in them. So. <laughs> yeah, I read um, Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, which was published in, you know, the 1920s or something like that, probably even a little bit before that. So I read that in, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s, and I, there was two misspellings. And that's, you know, almost 100 years old, and there were still some fucking typos and typesetting mistakes. So I, and that's Hemingway, who's, you know, one of the best ever. So I, right. to me, it's one of those, like, I can kind of forgive myself, but it still kind of eats me up a something, you know. <laughs> Well, it's it's your baby, and you want your baby to yeah. be in the best shape it can be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also there's yeah, I could learn to let go a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> which well, is weird because I you know, I do let go of the ownership. You know, I do I am so good with kind of letting people take interpretation and you know do what they want with it. I mean, I've had people give interpretations of the work uh, more so periphery, just because I've had more years to talk to people about it that were, you know, absolutely wrong. And I'm not going to correct them on it because, you know, they read it that way. But it's, yeah, it's, I think it's probably my good suit in writing where, yeah, it's it's yours now. Enjoy. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. There was an author. I want to say that it was uh, Tolkien, but, but I think that might be wrong. But it was definitely a fantasy author that was like, you know, I didn't discover this world. I simply happened upon it and decided to write it down (laughs) something like that and i know like when i do my own creative works you know i'm not so much for writing fiction but you know when i'm creating things i that's how my that's kind of how i feel um i think that's why i like abstract expressionism so much is because it feels discovered rather than created deliberately i feel like the creative works that that leave things open that aren't afraid to say, you know, there's more than one way to look at it tend to be the strongest in my opinion. Yeah. So, that's what I like to do. Uh, so I mean, I, I, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I just, when I was, uh, I mean, when I write anything, I have a pretty strong 
beginning, middle, and end. I know where the thing goes. It's just how it gets there is somewhat different. And uh, writing the short stories for this, there's uh, the book A List, which is, uh, I don't think it's giving much away. I'd say that's my favorite thing in there. I and think that's my second favorite. I think the Theravada machine was my first, and that was my second. Yeah, there's there's a spot, and I, it's towards the end, so I don't want to give it away. But uh, there's, um, you all know what I'm talking about, but there's a, so the book of lists is essentially a guy's going on a road trip to try to get over something, and he's going towards this location. Well, there's another location on the way there, uh, the, the place with the weird drinks. Oh, the, you'll know what that is, but I don't want to give it away to other people. I had no plan for that. I didn't know that was going to be a thing. I didn't know that existed in any universe. I was just typing, and he was moving towards one thing, and I just wrote that scene. And I love that scene, but it was purely discovered. That, was, like it was, that is awesome, because that's my favorite yeah. scene in that story. I feel like that's the scene one. that yeah. sells the story. Like that's, yeah, it, that's like the best moment in it. <laughs> it. Yeah, it's so strange that that one, and I, I go back to that of like, it's so weird when you discover something like that, because I didn't... Without that scene, I don't think the story works nearly as well. I don't think it it, it makes as much sense. Oh, absolutely! And I, it, it was the yeah. it was the catalyst. <laughs> yeah, it didn't didn't occur to me to like kind of put it all. You know, it's weird. I I, I often wonder uh, when I'm done with a story if you know that that, that kind of um, that kind of positive happenstance. If whether sometimes when you're done with a story, did you miss one of those? Like, was there another scene that could have happened that, you know, would have done it justice or, you know, like, where does it come from? It's an interesting thing. So, like, I wonder if I had written Book of Lists and just did all the scenes I had in my head, would I have read it back and went, oh, I need something else. And would that that scene have been created later or was that just a. Yeah, this goes down to that kind of union subconscious or even like the, the kind of Akashic records or any of that kind of like group knowledge source. Like, did I just tap into something and that like gave it to me? Because it's not like I thought of it, you know, it just kind of it. I stumbled on it, which is which is an odd thing considering, you know, technically I invented it. Yeah, yeah um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's an answer. I mean, I, I've been asking this question with Periphery for fucking six years now. Where I after that, so in Periphery, there's this um, there there's this runner where people keep finding little orange dinosaur toys on the ground. And after the book came out, I had multiple people find little orange dinosaurs like while walking, just which is an odd thing to find. Yeah, it's oddly One specific. Was, exactly. And one was a buddy of mine who has no reason to lie. I, I believe him when he when he tells me this is true. He found one in his house that he didn't own. An apport. It's just yeah, like it was just there, like this random. And he's like, he doesn't know where it comes from. It, it's he didn't buy it. His wife didn't buy it. He doesn't know, what, you know. And it's one of these. Ah, it's fucking weird, you know. And I found <laughs> some too afterwards. And I invented that. Like I shouldn't find them afterwards. Like that's this is but. but Maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, is it, is it the magic? Did I, is, you know, they say books are hyper sigils. Did I implant the universe with little orange dinosaurs? Seeding the collective unconscious. <laughs> which I, which, should, why I think my next story, I should write a story about how everybody finds me to be like a really sexy, intelligent man that gives me money. See that... <laughs> it sounds like you're starting to write a, uh. One of those uh, self-indulgent macho, uh, like yeah, exactly, yeah. The the. Uh... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
I know. Yeah, no, it's going to be like a born identity, but just with me and I'm going to be a badass and everybody's going to love me. Yeah, I, I mean, was, if I can make, I was fishing for an example there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, if, if I can make the universe produce plastic dinosaurs, I, I think it can produce, you know, interested persons. <laughs> be a terrible book, but. But, uh, you know, back to the, uh, the topic of, you know, would it, uh, you know, the scenes that, that make the story that you didn't even go in intending to write, um, you know, in Hollywood, they have a, they have a saying, you know, cut what you love, you know, the ones that you spend the most time on tend to be the ones that end up being the worst. It's oh, the yeah, things yeah. that you, you know, you didn't even intend to write that tend to be the best moments. I think there's something to be said for that in general in life. Like the moments that you put the most effort into making happen tend to be the ones that are not as fun. It's the things that happen spontaneously that I think that's why in magic and, you know, especially chaos magic, they, they say uh, to, you know, do the work and then forget about it and let it, let it manifest when it wants to. I think, I think that has something to do with something to do with like, you know, letting it spontaneously come into being rather than trying to force it, you know, like Crowley said, beware lust of result. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's why really, I always find it weird when I see like chaos people, uh, they get sigils tattooed, where it's like, I mean, that sort of goes against the point of those things. Like, I mean, you're that's that's as memorable as you can make a thing. Like, it's, uh, uh, but there's a, yeah, that's weird. There's so there's a, ch- a missing chapter from Periphery. It's not missing. I have it on a hard drive, but uh, I spent so much time on it and I adored it. It is a fucking weird odd it is it's it's great but it doesn't work in the story and i had to kill it and it was the first time i've really had one of those kind of kill your darlings moment where it's really good but i it just the story is better without it and it was like this like it you met it was, the buddha I mean, in the road <laughs> yeah it's just oh boy it's it's rough i mean it's it's not something i mean i've certainly had to cut stuff before but like that was the first time that I had to cut like significant, you know, a couple thousand words, maybe not that long, but like a good chunk of stuff that because it didn't do the story justice and it was, yeah, it was weird. I did that um, for, for uh, Terravada Machine. There was another short story that I wanted in the collection um, that I have sitting around that I'm going to do something with eventually, but it just didn't work. Like it just, for some reason, it just the, the book read differently with it in it. And I think it's just because it was too kind of magic-y. And I think it kind of started pulling away from the other stories. So I had to I had to cut it out, which is, you know, kind of painful. It's like I put all this work into it, but it's like I think this, the, the collection becomes better because of it. Well, maybe that's the seed for the next one, the next short story collection. The, write that one scene into a, a whole short story and turn and yeah. do one based on magic-y stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean that that scene from Periphery would make no sense. I mean, it's it's it, it's such a specific, weird. I mean, it's there's there's a heavenly choir of angels show up. It's fucking odd. It's it's it was so good, but it just uh, just didn't work in the story. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, some, I'm glad I. Some I'm glad authors I that do. Child, it, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I know. I was just saying. I was glad I killed that child, but I still, you know, I still regret the murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, some authors do eventually, like after. You know, after a while, put out a volume of like, here's all the stuff that was on the cutting room floor. I have a, I have 
one from uh from Tolkien and one from uh Douglas Adams like that. Oh yeah. Kind of Yeah, uh, I mean if if ever I get enough readers that they're demanding to read the you know the lost <laughs> chapters of Ripley and the the random short stories I never published, then yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to do it. Yeah, I still need to finish Periphery. I keep getting distracted. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's reasonably long. I don't blame you. Yeah, I mean I really enjoy it when I read it. It's just sitting down to read fiction. Like the thing thing for me is like when I'm reading nonfiction, I don't have to actually sit there and commit. Like I can just like jump around and as long as I'm picking up the information, I'm picking up the whole point of it. But with fiction, like I want to actually enjoy it and that's a lot more time commitment. So <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm I'm the same way like with the authors I love. Like there's um like I'm a huge fan of uh, Haruki Murakami. Uh, he's like probably my favorite. Uh, he's definitely my favorite living writer. But uh, I have to, like, I I like savor his work. So it's it's weird. It's like I, I almost I have a harder time reading him than I do authors I don't like as much because it's just like it's I I want to I want to kind of it's I, I want it to be delicate of a reading process. Like I want to pull as much out of it as I can instead of reading you know just some. Hey, some asshole with a sword and nose magic killed the guy. I can, <laughs> you know, that's that's easy. I can read, you know, that's three hundred pages in a day. Right. That, that's kind of how I am with Philip K. Dick, which is part of why I tend to go to into his work through audiobooks because then I don't have a choice but to just listen to it at the pace of the person reading it, and it keeps me from doing <laughs> from uh, putting the brakes on too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I do enjoy audiobooks, but I can't do it with books I like too much because I, I find myself getting distracted too easily. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't know what the hell's going on. So audiobooks, I'll do like, you know, uh, uh, any kind of young adult thing I'm vaguely interested in reading, I'll do the audiobook. So if I miss something, I'm like, ah, I'll figure it out by the next book. I do them while I'm, I have a long drive to and from work, so I do it when I'm driving because then I have nothing else to pay attention to besides the road, but yeah. nothing else to listen to, so... Yeah, that's where my podcasts happen. I'm struggling to find anything else to say because without spoiling anything, it's hard to really talk about a book. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, here's here's what we can uh, we can mention about the book. Uh, so I there's a short story in there called the Mandela Effect. Oh yeah. Uh, which is essentially about the Mandela Effect. So here's two questions about that book. Well, let's let's start with the 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 easy one first. Are you familiar with eye floaters? Because apparently a lot of people don't know what those are and were very confused by my referencing them in that story. Yes, very much so. And Okay, good. <laughs> the worst part is my mom told me that they're caused by staring at the sun when you're a kid. I don't think that's true, but I've always, like, every time I see them, I have this moment of horror of, oh god, I shouldn't have stared at the sun so much as a kid. <laughs> Yeah, I started this in a lot when I was a kid, too, so, I mean, that could be true. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I absolutely hate them. They drive me nuts. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, I well, I work in, like, my office has a lot of, like, fluorescent bulbs and, like, kind of light-colored everything. So, like, if I stare at a table from a certain angle, that's all I see. Not all I see, but, like, they're so prominent. But uh, Yeah, I, I have had, the same problem at work. 
yeah, I had someone read it and uh, they're like, what the fuck are floaters? So we had, I had to like show them on my phone. Like, a, like you know, people on Google have like, they made pictures of like what they kind of look like. I'm like, these things. He's like, no, I don't get those. I don't even know what that is. And yeah, I've had a few that like literally have never heard of this phenomenon. I was like, this is fucking crazy. I thought everybody knew about that. <laughs> There's a lot of things like that. Like ASMR, I was surprised when I found out that not everyone gets that because that was just such a part of my life for so long. And I never even thought to ask about it because it's just like, you know, it's not the kind of thing that you would ever talk about generally unless you're like intending on bringing it about or something yeah that's it's funny the same thing happened to me the lady that coined the term asmr said the same thing she's like it just turns out no one's ever brought it up but like this is such a common phenomenon and that was for <laughs> me yeah my whole, i've had that my whole life in certain you know situations i don't have it as consistently as a lot of people do but like i certainly get it and pretty frequently and yeah until i you know the I started seeing it pop up on YouTube. I'm like, oh, fuck that thing. Oh, there's a word for it. But apparently that word was coined not that long ago. It's yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that's why I liked Legos so much as a kid was because, you know, building the little Lego models from the instructions was one of the things that did it for me. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And yeah, um, Definitely, I was of the stain group. <laughs> yeah, that was gonna be the that's gonna be the follow up. So when you were a kid, you remembered. Uh, so the Mandela effect, just to catch the audience up, is uh, uh, this phenomenon where people misremember the past or have a different memory of the past in certain ways. It's coined after the term because there, uh, there was a group of people that thought Nelson Mandela died in like you know 1980 something, but he actually died in like 2006 or whatever the hell it is. But there's, you know, millions of people that remember reading the newspaper when he died and remember this thing that didn't happen, at least in the reality we live in. And the other example of this is the the bears that hang out with each other. And so when you were a kid, you remember the being the Berenstain bears. Yes, but I remember my parents pronouncing it the Berenstain bears, but it was around the time that I was first learning to read. And I remember being so thrown off by the spelling because it's, you know, it was spelled on there stain, but my mom kept saying stain. And I was like, yeah. but it's spelled this way. And she goes, oh, well, that's because it's German. It's not English. And I go... Oh, and like that moment, because it was such a, that was the moment that I learned that not all the words in the English language actually come from English and aren't, aren't necessarily spelled the way that English phonetically would be spelled. Like that was that m defining moment in my childhood. So I specifically remember that. And so that's why I've always found it so hilarious that that's the focus of, you know, one of these uh, Mandela effect things is because I have such a specific memory associated yeah. with that. Yeah, it's, but I remember those books when I was a kid, and I can in my head still picture the covers and them being spelled Berenstein. And I, I, I can, I mean, I don't know what the Mandela effect is. I don't know what you know. I, I tend to lean towards is just a kind of brain wiring thing, just misremembering because. You know, stain is a more common, you know, uh, construction than stain at the end of a word. But, oh man, I remember it being stain. Like I remember, like I can picture it in my head right now. Like it's it's a red background, and like the script is kind of like a golden color. Like I remember that fucking thing, but uh, apparently not. <laughs> For me, it was so. I I don't know when the Mandela effect that term was coined, but um, I I talk about it in an early episode of the Alex Cast, and I and I. 
what I refer to it as being mugs and mugs aren't true. It's not what actually happened because I didn't know how weird it was at the time. But when I was younger uh, and I'm going to tell the story as if they were mugs because I don't remember the actual object. But I was in my room that that I basically grew up in, in the house I grew up in. I know the 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 mugs in that house. I know the one I drink out of. Like I know what they look like. So I was drinking out of what let's just say it was a red mug. I know this red mug. It's you know ten years old. I I know what the other mugs are. One day I was drinking and I had I had a blue mug in, in my room and I went oh weird we have a blue one of these. I'm like I don't remember there being a blue one. And I went to, you know, just kind of didn't think about it. The red mug never appeared again. So a 10-year-old mug changed color on me. And it's this weird, but for years afterwards, I've had, and it was just like, you know, it's one of those things of I didn't think about it at all. Because well before the whole Mandela effect thing was, was a term. But for years afterwards, I had this feeling that I was in the wrong universe. I, I Those were the phrases I used. Was that at some point... I just kind of went to the universe next door. Like it's just, and I'm not saying like, I actually believe literally this, but I had this, like I, and I still do have this inkling that like I'm in slightly the wrong place. And one day it occurred to me the, the mug. And I'm like, I bet you I'm in the universe with the fucking red, with the blue mug. And I'm supposed to be in red bug universe. And it's just like this weird, like, holy shit. And that's why I barely remember the story. That's why I use the term mug. I don't remember what the actual object was. I just remember having a thought, this is weird. A 10 year old object just changed on me. That's, you know, very odd. And then when the Mandela effect started to become popular on the internet, I'm like, that's the thing. That's the thing I've been describing, you know, much, much like we were talking about ASMR or floaters where it's like, holy fuck, I've had this. Like, I, I, I know this feeling. I know this idea of being in another universe and based on a, you know, a, a memory of a different thing when, you know, from years before it's, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I the Mandela effect is something that, yeah, I, 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 I defined before the term was defined, you know, I didn't even know about the Mandela thing. I, I knew it as my mug problem. So, you know, what the funny thing about this whole thing to me is when I was doing the lead up to the ritual or well, more specifically the meditation that led to my big world-changing Tiamat encounter experience, out-of-body thing. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't have a nice, fancy term for it, because it's so weird, and it feels wrong to even try to give it a name. Um, <laughs> but, like, almost, I would say, like, almost exactly a month or so before that, at the same... Cause when I had that, I was actually at my friend's. I was staying over at my friend's house, um, and it was the same house, and around the same time of night, um, under very similar circumstances. I was tired. I went to bed, but she stayed up to play video games, and I had this crazy. I'm going to call it a dream, but it didn't feel like a dream. It felt real. But it was a series of, I would wake up, and I was in an alternate reality version of that bedroom with different things happening. And then I would wake up again, and I'd be in yet a different version. And that happened, must have been like 8 to 10 times before I finally woke up. 
And ever since then, there's been a part of me in the back of my mind that's that's like, am I actually awake or is this just yet another dream inside of oh, a dream? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I've had I've had that one when I was in school. I had the dream where I woke up and I went to school and went through the whole day, and then I woke up and I had to get ready for school. But I mean, it was like it like as I experienced it, you know, a seven hour dream, you know, like one of those things where I lived an entire day in a dream. And it's kind of in the back of my head. I'm like, oh, shit. Well, Maybe here's I'm the thing. Here, here's the thing about this one that still messes with me is, you know, I had been reading literature about trying to have a lucid dream around that time. And I literally went through the entire checklist of things you could do to try and figure out if you were dreaming or not. And they all responded the way that you would expect to in reality. So I went to like extremes. Like, the, you know, the first thing they do is say, look at your hands and, and, and they're going to look weird. Well, they didn't look weird. Then they say, you know, try and read something and read it again and see if it changes. It didn't change. I was able to do exactly that. I got as far as putting my hand on a candle and burning myself trying to figure out if I was a dream or not because something felt off. The, everything was like moved around and reality like, wasn't lined up the way it was supposed to be. But at the same time, I had no way of figuring out if I was in a dream or not or if I was just misremembering where everything was in the room. And to this day, that still messes with me that yeah. I could burn my hand on a candle in what was supposed to be a dream and it felt painful and it burned my flesh and I even remember a bit of the smell and yet yeah, I, you know I woke uh, up and my hand was fine <laughs> and it's that it just still messes with me <laughs> yeah that's I mean I, I don't know if this will make you feel better or not but that's the way my lucid dreams tend to go where not my lucid dreams, my failed lucid dreams, is I'll go through the lucid dream checklist in a dream and not realize I'm dreaming. I have woken up from those so many fucking times where, like, I'm having a dream, and then in the dream I go, oh, this is weird, this is like a dream, I should look at my hands or read something, and it and it works. But then I'll wake up, you know, later and not, you know, because in the dream I never actually went, oh, I'm in a dream. I just had a dream about having a dream checklist happen, which well, is a crazy, you know... Well, here, here's where the rabbit hole gets deeper, is after I went, so, like, so that happened, um, and that really messed with me, and I had to have my friend, like, help, like, talk me back to reality, for lack of a better term. We ended up going and getting pancakes from, uh, from, uh, the pancake place. I, was, I can't think of what it was called. Um, and, uh. Like, that whole time I'm looking around this restaurant looking for <laughs> signs. Well, anyways, like, the next day, like, we spent, like, two days hanging out together. The next day, or, well, the next night, I had another crazy dream. But this time, I knew I was dreaming, but I was not in my own dream. I was in my friend's dream. And when she woke up, when we both woke up, we compared notes and the stuff in the like she didn't see me in her dream but the stuff that i described in that landscape were things that she had dreamed about previously like stuff that was in her subconscious landscape and stuff that i there was no way for me to ever have known that she had dreamed about 
in the past. I don't know if she wants me to tell tell about this stuff, but I'm trying to be vague on purpose. So yeah. Uh. Hopefully it's okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean that your- that is what like what really made things weird for me, and I honestly that was kind of the shock I've never recovered from because, you know, I'm. St- what even is reality if weirdness like that can happen? Yeah, I mean, or there's just a backdrop of reality that we're unaware of. You know, that's what I'm saying. You know, the collective unconscious thing of, you know, communication with somebody else while sleeping. To me, that doesn't even sound all that weird, but I've done a lot of drugs, so. <laughs> well, I've never done any, so, you know. I've done all of them. So, yeah, no, it's uh, – I. me and my friend Rick had psychic communications while we were on mushrooms one time. So, I'm I, – no, nothing is weird to me anymore. <laughs> well, that not nothing, but kind of very awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Like we we're so I turned to him and I was trying to say something, uh, and I didn't say it out loud. And then he responded to it out loud. I'm like, "Huh?" I'm like, "Dude, did we just?" And he's like, "Oh shit, you did." And we had this like really fun kind of, "Oh fuck, we're talking to each other without using words." Thing. It was yeah, it was pretty crazy. My girlfriend's done that to me before. <laughs> She'll yeah, so uh, respond to something I was intending to do yeah. before I actually did it. Yeah. Yeah. Reality's weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh, that's kind of the the point of odd belief systems that we uh, adopt is reality is weird. You know, if reality was was predictable and boring. I don't think either of us would practice magic because it would be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, why why would we do any of this stuff if if reality is just you know humdrum existence? Right. If it's all nuts and bolts craft. <laughs> to yeah, exactly. Borrow a, yeah. a UFO type phrase. Yeah, yeah. If 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 we live in a you know the the materialist universe, you know, and we have no control over the material, then you know, boo, boring. <laughs> So to bring it full circle, that's exactly why I like books like this. Because it gives us gateways to, to think about these sort of things. Which is not something you often get. Now, most people tend to not like talking about it. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely write about it. And, you know, if anybody out there reads it. Uh, oh, by the way, available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and uh, Powell's. And if you, like a, if you have a local small bookshop you like to go to yeah they can order it for you if you want to give them your money um it's all and the same make to me. sure you leave a review on amazon if you do yes yes that'd be delightful even if you buy it somewhere else leave a review on amazon because that is the world the world eater <laughs> that's that's the one that matters because yeah it, it's vain but you know the more reviews you have the more it looks like you're a you're a big fancy proper writer don't be a boring, crappy person. Be like me and leave a review. <laughs> yeah, good. And then you know, bother me online. Tell me, tell me uh, what do you think? What reality do you come from? All right. Well, um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Like anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, I mean, uh, I do a podcast called The Alex Cast. Uh, Alex spelled with two X's, and that's um, been going on. F- since the beginning of time um and i host a co-host a movie review show called john and alex hate stuff uh I, I, they're all available at all the normal podcastery places uh yeah i mean that's it i'm on yeah i think that's all the 
all the stuff I'm involved in right now. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to Butterflies and Incantations. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow me on social media. This is Vanessa reminding you that magic is everywhere. You only have to know.